Good morning again. It's great to see you. Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name's Jeff. I am the lead pastor for six months. Congratulations. (laughs) I think that's, uh, uh, I'm proud of you (laughs) for surviving for six months. (laughs) Hey, this morning, right after the service, uh, if you are new to our church and you signed up, I just want to remind you of pizza with the pastor today and look forward to spending about an hour with you, getting to know you a little bit better and uh, hearing our stories and uh, look forward to that. So if you're our new and you did not sign up, we'll do another one in November and we'd love you to sign up. The best way to do that is to download the Church Center app and this is for everybody at CPC, whether you're new or not new, uh, please download the app. You can do everything uh, possible. Well, that's probably not true, but you can do lots of things on this app. Sign up for groups, you can sign up for uh, various uh, other special things like Next Steps class or if you're new, Pizza with the Pastor, things like that. Membership is coming. Uh, all those kinds of things that we have. If you want to download that app, that would help. You can also give on that app and, uh, and just help us out by knowing what's... How many of you like to know what's going on? I know you do because when you don't, you complain about it. <laughs> I had no idea that was happening. Well, that's because you don't read your email bulletin. Is that right, Linda? Hi, Linda. That's right. So I, I just, I don't want you to miss anything good that's happening. So please do that. Uh, those of you that may not know, or those of you that do know, we have a thing in our church called Kingdom Builders. I wore my shirt today. By the way, the jacket felt like a good, de- good idea when it was 32 out. Now it's a little warm. That was a joke. Nobody, this is going to be a long service. Uh, so as... I just want to give you a quick update. As of this uh, last Sunday, over 94% of our commitments have come in, have been given. And so that's amazing and awesome. Uh, That's a little over $96,000 that has come in of the 100-ish that we had pledged, 102, I think, that had pledged. So we've got about six or 8,000 to go and about eight weeks to give. So if you uh, have some left to give on what you committed or you haven't started giving yet, uh, whatever, whatever the case might be, we'd love to encourage you to do that. And don't worry, if we go over our goal, we will find missionaries to give it to. So don't worry about that. Uh, we've got some other commitments we'd like to make with them. So if we go over that 102, which I, I believe we will, uh, we will funnel that to some great uh, people doing great work around the world. Uh, in November, I just want to mention, we're going to be in this series, uh, Come Holy Spirit, for the rest of this month. And then in November, for the, th- the first three Sundays, we're going to be in a series uh, about Kingdom Builders. It's our Kingdom Builders Conference. I can't wait to share with you all the projects and the things that are going to come next year in 2023. It's going to be a great year for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's going to be a great year for the kingdom of God, and God's going to do awesome things, and he's going to use us to do it. So I'm excited to share with you about that. We'll have a couple of Sundays with missionaries, and then on the, on the 20th, which I realize is, is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So don't go out of town until like Monday. If you're going to go out of town, you, you want to be part of that. Or if you're not here, you always have the online opportunity to see what God is saying. But I don't want you to miss what I'm going to share with you, not only about Kingdom Builders, but uh, some things that God has put on my heart and our staff. You just saw all their pictures. We've been praying and asking God what he wants us to do in the next few years. And I'm going to be sharing all that on uh, November the 20th. So I just don't want you to miss that. Uh, we are in a series called Come Holy Spirit. How many of you want the Holy Spirit to come? Amen. Amen. How many of you know he's already here? (laughs) 
Yeah. He's already here, and we want to dive into the work of the Spirit of God. I, I was not able to be here last Sunday for the kickoff, but Pastor Michael did an outstanding job uh, sharing with us about who the Holy Spirit is and all the wonderful things that he provides in our life. He's the counselor, and he's the encourager, and he's the truth giver, and all those things that the Holy Spirit does. And I'm just so grateful to have great men and ladies around this church that can deliver the word of God with power. So I thank you, Pastor Michael. I was chasing my boys around Universal Studios last week, and uh, I watched the, the sermon online while I waited for them to get off the Velocicoaster. True, true story. True story. <laughs> if you haven't uh, listened to Pastor Michael's message, I'd encourage you to go back and do that. You can always find it on our Facebook page or our website. Uh, so uh, today I want to dive in a little bit deeper into the things of the Holy Spirit, and I really want to talk about what the Holy Spirit does. What is his work in the world today? Why did Jesus say in John 16, it is better for you if I go away, which makes zero sense to me. I don't know about you, but I'd love it if Jesus was still here, wouldn't you? But he said to the disciples, look, it is better for you if I go away, because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. Let's look at the passage in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. It should be on the screen behind me. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. See, the disciples didn't yet understand who Jesus was. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. That's an interesting passage of scripture. Uh, I, I don't know that a lot of pastors or a lot of leaders break it down so we understand what the Holy Spirit is doing, but one of the titles uh, that I would give to the Holy Spirit is this, the convictor. He's the convictor, okay? Everybody love that word? Don't you love that word? You've been convicted. So two things, you've been convicted of sin. Did you know that? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. True? Yeah. So every person on the planet who's ever lived on the planet, no matter how good of a person they were, no matter how much they had it all together, they've all been convicted of sin. They've fallen short of the glory of God. How do we know that, we've been, that, we've, that we are convicted? Because the Holy Spirit tells us we've been convicted. That's how you know that you've been convicted. So how important is the Holy Spirit to God the Father? I mean, Jesus said, if, if I don't go away, he cannot, come, he cannot come and be with you, and it's better if I go away. So let me just give you one thought before we get into the points of the message. Let me give you one thought about why it was more important for the Holy Spirit to be here than Jesus the way he was here. So Jesus, even after he was resurrected, for some reason, only appeared at one place at a time. Are you with me? 
So like, you know, he appeared to the two dudes walking to Emmaus. You ever heard of the, the road to Emmaus? These two disciples are leaving. The, they're, they're really what they're doing is running away from the scene because they're scared of what might happen to them. And Jesus appears to them. He did not, though, simultaneously appear to other disciples. He did that at different moments at different times. But he did appear to over 500 people in one place. He did appear multiple times to the disciples. You know the story, hopefully, of him appearing to Thomas, the doubter. Uh, he appeared to him. And so I'm just saying to you that when Jesus was here for, for some reason, even after he was glorified and he'd been and resurrected from the dead, he still was only able to be in one place at a time. So he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And here's one of the most powerful parts about the Holy Spirit. He's with everybody all the time. Right? He's with you every moment of the day. He's with you. He's with you right now. He's going to be with you when you get in your car. He's going to be with you when you go home. He's going to be with you tomorrow. He's going to be with you next Thursday. He's going to be with you wherever you find yourself. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Okay, it's a theological word. just means he's everywhere at the same time. The we would say that's the presence of God because the Holy Spirit embodies and is the presence of God. Are you with me? Okay. This is going to be more of a teaching than a preaching, just so you know. So... Be ready for that if you guys, yeah, anyway. Okay. How important is the Holy Spirit to God? Here's something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven either in this world or the one to come. Well, holy cow. That's like a big statement, isn't it? Like you can stand, you can get mad at God. Anybody been mad at God? You don't have to admit it, but I'll admit that I've been mad at God. I've been frustrated at God, and God and I have had conversations. You ever had conversations with God? Yeah. You can have conversations with God. In fact, I don't recommend this, but you can blaspheme God. I mean, I'm not endorsing that. You probably shouldn't cuss the Lord out or anything like that. But you can, but you can't the Holy Spirit. If you cross a line of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, look, you can yell at me all you want. You can, you can have a bad attitude towards me. You can be angry at me. You can be bitter at me, all those things. And you can still come back and be forgiven. But if you do that to the Holy Spirit, buddy, you're out. That's what he's saying. You see that? That's hard to take. And I've met lots of Christians who are like, I think I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I say, why do you think that? I don't know. I just, you know, I just feel like I, I've, I've done so many wrong things and, you know, whatever. And I got mad at God and I said things and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, here's, here's what I say to that. And I want you to hear this because if you've ever had that thought before, I want you to hear me. If you care, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you have a sense of conviction in your soul, remember he's the convictor. He won't convict people that have been cut off. So I'm convinced that the blasphemy of the, Holy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you get to the place where you no longer care if you offend God or not offend God, you are out and you've chosen to be out yourself. You cannot, listen, you cannot accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I want to say that and be really clear because I don't want you to be deceived by things that are out there. 
Okay, so if you ever cross that line, you will not care that you've crossed that line and you will be embracing it altogether. So I just want you to understand it is important to God of the Holy Spirit. So we invite the Holy Spirit into our life. We invite him into our church. We invite him into the things that, we, that, that are happening. But what does he actually do? What is his job primarily on the earth? So I've got three things for you this morning and it's right there in John 16. You can see it in the text. It's pretty simple. First thing is this. He will convict the world in guilt regarding sin. He convicts the world of guilt regarding sin. So sin in general is any violation of the law of God. It's any time that we cross a line and we have maligned or we have ignored or we have pushed the envelope against the will of the Lord, the will of God, the things of God. You, I mean, we could list sins. Christians are awesome at listing sins, okay? We could list sins. We could talk about the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. And I may even encourage you to go read that at some point, Galatians 5. Uh, and so there's all kinds of ways that we can cross that line. It really has much more to do with what's in our heart than it has to do with the actual act of sin. In other words, most people don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to sin. Very few people do that. It's something that comes through the day, but it is a decision we make. Would you agree with that? Sin is always a decision. It's not something we accidentally, we accidentally do very often. There are occasions that that can happen, but very often. So Jesus is like, listen, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to convict the world in regard to sin. But there's one sin in particular. There's one sin in particular Jesus is talking about, and it's the sin of unbelief. It's this, and I want you to think about that, or if you have notes, I want you to write it down. One of these days, I'll have my notes done in time to put them in the, the Bible app. It's not today, though. <laughs> but if you ever want my notes, if you just tell me, I'll send them to you. The one thing you, in regard to sin, why? What's the main sin that the Holy Spirit convicts of? It's that men or, or women, people, do not believe in Jesus' deity. And can I say to you that unbelief is probably the greatest sin in all of the Bible. It's not murder, it's not adultery, it's not lying, it's not cussing out God, it is not believing in Jesus as the one and only Son of God. That's the greatest sin. It's the one sin that will keep you out of heaven, out of eternity with God. The Bible says you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord, right? That's how you're saved. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, I was thinking about unbelief and I thought, you know, unbelief hijacked God's plan for Abraham and Sarah. And now we have Ishmael and the entire Arab world. Look how that sin of unbelief, not believing the word of the Lord, are you with me, has wreaked havoc in the world even today. We have enmity between nations and races because Abraham and Sarah didn't believe the angel. Right? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Unbelief ultimately is the sin which caused Israel to wander in the desert. You can read about it in the book of Hebrews where it says that because of their unbelief, they were never able to enter the rest and the plan of God. So that entire generation died in the desert and never entered the land of milk and honey, the, the, the land promised to Abraham. They didn't enter, not because they sinned or they grumbled. They didn't enter, the Bible says, it's Hebrews chapter four, because of their unbelief. 
They didn't believe the word of God. They didn't believe what God had promised them. Unbelief caused Ananias and Sapphira to drop dead in their lying and giving to the, to the Lord. That's in the book of Acts. And they sold some land and promised that they'd only bring part of it, only, or bring all of it, only brought part of it because they did not believe God. And God literally struck them dead. I don't know if Ananias and Sapphira made it to heaven or not. I can say this to you. Unbelief is a big deal to God. Now, can I say one more thing? I'm going to anyway, so I don't know why I asked your permission. <laughs> Questioning faith, asking God the hard questions, struggling through is not sin. And it's not unbelief. Asking God, God, I don't understand X, Y, Z, and I need you to help me get clarity on it and understand this thing is not sin. Not being sure of all those things in the Bible is not sin. Choosing to dismiss them as un, in an unbelieving way is sin. Are you, does that make sense? I just want to draw the line because I don't want, I, like a lot, of, a lot of Christians, especially those raised in Sunday school, feel like they can't question God. They can't ask God those hard questions. They can't ask God about creation. Was it a literal seven days? Or was it a period of time? You know what I'm saying? It's okay to ask God those questions. He's got really big shoulders. He can handle your questions. It's not a sin to ask God questions and to wonder about some of those things. It is a sin when you allow the influence of secular society and the world to come into your heart and you choose to dismiss the things of God as untrue. Though that can be sin. But it's okay to ask. Scripture. In Scripture, the only sin that everyone will have, everyone who ever lived will have to uh, remedy in their life is the sin of unbelief. There's this passage that says that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What will they confess? Jesus is Lord. Whether they believed it on the earth or didn't believe it on the earth, they, we will all confess that Jesus is the Lord. The question is, are you going to confess it here or are you going to confess it there? But everybody confesses it. Does it make sense? Not everybody confesses Jesus is a healer or God is a deliverer or whatever you, know, whatever you want to fill in about an attribute of God. But what everybody will confess is that Jesus is Lord. That is related to belief or unbelief. Does that make sense? So I'm just saying what the Holy Spirit convicts us of is this idea of unbelief and how we have to believe in God. So the Spirit's job is to convict the world to believe in God's Son. And that happens at the moment of salvation when you believe in your heart and you trust in God and you trust in the plan of salvation and what Jesus has done. The Spirit takes up resident in you. And you begin to walk with the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world in regard to sin. Secondly, he convicts the world regarding righteousness. He convicts the world regarding righteousness. Here's what righteousness is. Righteousness means right standing before God. Now, how many of you can stand before God in righteousness on your own? I'm just really glad nobody raised their hand. Good. You can't. That's the whole point of salvation, right? Is that Jesus came so that we could stand before God in righteousness. So uh, uh, righteousness is right standing before God because Jesus was a righteous, spotless sacrifice for our sin before God. But here, Jesus isn't talking about his own righteousness. 
or, or sorry, he is talking about his own righteousness. He's not talking about our right standing before God. He's talking about his righteousness. Here's what I mean. In regard to righteousness, so that's the innocence of Christ. So did you know that if Jesus had sinned, he would have died for his own sin on the cross? Because that's the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. So how many of you are going to die? Oh, we're all going to die. That's the wages of sin. We all are punished, if you will, by death because sin is in the world today. Well, Jesus didn't have that. He didn't have sin in his life. The Bible says that he was a spotless lamb of God led to the slaughter for us. And so the, the Holy Spirit convicts the world about the innocence of Jesus. It convicts the world about the innocence of Jesus. What I think is really cool is this happened kind of like right off the bat. So Jesus is on the cross and you know he's dying and he's crucified with two other guys and one of the guys is talking to the other guy and he's like, dude, this guy's done nothing. We deserve our punishment. You guys know the story that I'm talking about, the thieves on the cross? They said, we deserve our punishment, but this guy, he's not done anything wrong. He's totally innocent. And he says to the Lord, hey, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe that guy was the very first convert into the church. He was the first guy to receive forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. First one. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And we have that story. But there's another moment that happened. In fact, it's the story about the Roman soldiers. It's in Matthew 27. It's in another of the Gospels as well. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verse 51, you know, all these things happen. The, tent, the, the veil in the temple's torn. There's an earthquake. The sun gets dark. I mean, all this ominous stuff. It would have been awesome to see, right? All, this ominous, all these ominous things happen, and it all gets over with. And the Bible says the centurion who was guarding Jesus, you know, guarding the crosses, at, when it's all over with, what does he say? Surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. That is the convincing, convicting power of the Holy Spirit, convincing someone of the innocence, the purity, the righteousness of Jesus. Because it's, it, you know, salvation hinges upon the righteousness of God. So he says, look, because I am righteous or in regard to righteousness, the Holy Spirit convicts the world because I am going to the Father. Now, what is Jesus referring to in that moment? The disciples thought he was going to die and then, you know, go to paradise or whatever the Jewish, uh, the Jewish tradition was. What Jesus actually was saying here is not only am I an innocent, spotless lamb, I am the righteousness of God, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. I just want you to know that I'm not going to stay dead for very long and I'm going to go to the Father because I'm going to be resurrected back to life. I'm going to be the first fruits of those who will be resurrected to life. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of the righteousness of Jesus, but then it convicts us that the resurrection was an authentic, real event in history. How many of you know that that has to be true? It has to be true. Because if it's not true, we're wasting our time. If Jesus rose from the dead, and this is out there today, if you look it up, this, these kinds of things are, that's why you got to be very careful where you're getting information from. But out there today, there are theories and ideas that Jesus spiritually rose from the dead or figuratively rose from the dead, but he did not bodily rise from the dead. Can I just say to you, that is hogwash. 
And that's a theological term. <laughs> that's hogwash. There are more eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus than almost any conviction in a murder case in history. There are more eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus than there are eyewitnesses that Shakespeare lived. But we don't question that. Are you, does that make sense with what I'm saying? So I'm just saying the Holy Spirit convicts us of these things because it's so important. And here's what I want you to know. God would not raise up an imposter. Jesus did not have a body double that after he was dead, the disciples stole his body and hid it away or whatever. And they had a body double who stood in for Jesus and said, see, I'm resurrected from the dead. Friend, that is not what happened. Jesus rose from the dead and became the first fruits unto righteousness. His resurrection was proof that he was the son of God, exalted to the right hand of God. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just another good man, a good prophet, somebody who did some nice things and said some nice things. But if he's risen from the dead, then he is God. That's it. That's it. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world that he is resurrected. And lastly, he says, where you can see me no more, meaning he would be taken away. Christ is explicit that when he went away, the Holy Spirit would come and would dwell with his people. What, is the word, what does that word mean? He, said, he says there, if I don't come, then the advocate will not come. That, that word advocate in the Greek is the word paraclete, if you've ever heard the word paraclete. You don't have to remember it. It just is the Greek word. Here's what it means. It means advocate. It means helper. It means encourager. It means comforter. It means guide. It's all the things that Pastor Michael talked about last week. That's what paraclete means. It's all wrapped up in those meanings. And if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is, if you welcome him into your life, then he will be all those things to you. He'll be all those things to you. He convicts us. Lastly, he will convict the world in regard to judgment. So he convinces the world of the righteousness of Jesus. Then he convinces the world or convicts the world of the resurrection of Jesus, which is huge. Are you following me? I want to make sure you're fo you following me, everybody. Okay, okay, okay. That's all right. That's why we record it. You can go watch it again. Or I'll send you my notes. Why? Because this whole thing's leading to judgment. This whole thing. I, everybody wants to know, like, when the rapture's going to happen or how the world's going to fall apart or, you know, there's all these videos now. If you, if you watch goofy videos online, you, you see all these videos of, like, when's World War III going to happen and, you know, how's all this going to I mean, Christians have been asking that for 2,000 years. In fact, the disciples said, Lord, when's all this going to happen? And what did Jesus say? I don't know. That's what he said. I don't know when it's going to happen. Well, I just got news for you. If Jesus didn't know when it was going to happen, he ain't going to tell some guy who wants to write a book. I'm just saying. <laughs> and here's, what I, here's really what I want to tell you. The rapture, the, coming of, the second coming of Jesus, Armageddon, good luck with the revelation. We got a connect group on revelation if you want to jump in. But all that stuff is not even the most important stuff. You know what the most important thing is? Someday, you and I are going to stand before God. Does it matter when? Nope. Does it matter how it all goes down? Not that much. What matters is that we understand 
that there will come a day when we will have to give an account of our life and our faith and our deeds to the God of the universe. We should be more concerned about that than we are when the rapture may happen. Jesus says, look, the the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world in judgment. God is a just God. God is a God who will provide justice. If you're a justice person and you want justice in the world, and and, and I get it, I understand it, I just want you to know you're never going to get justice in this world because it's an unjust world. It's never going to happen. Not the way that we all want it to happen, right? I would love it if it would. Here's the good news. If you can make it through this life and you can get to the judgment of Christ and you can get to the next world, it will be just. Why? Because God will be the ruler of that world. It will be justice. And that's a wonderful thing. Judgment, though, of mankind will also be just and no one will escape. Listen to me. No one will escape So Jesus says, look, he's going to convict the world in regard to judgment. Why? Because the prince of this world, who is Satan, now stands condemned. What does that mean? It means that judgment has already been pronounced for Satan. His end has already been determined. What's going to happen to this world, what's going to happen to the devil and whatever his minions, whatever, whatever, that's already been determined. And if God is going to do that with them, then he's going to judge humanity as well. That's what he's trying to say. We should not think, whether we know Christ or we don't know Christ, that somehow we will escape judgment or we'll get to stand before God and plead our case that we've been a good person or we made some good decisions or we gave lots of money away or we went to church or we served as a deacon or we were a pastor. Can I just say, without the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ, none of that will matter at all. You will be judged. The only question that remains really is which judgment will you attend? See, in the Bible, there's two judgments. There's a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment where Christians come before the Lord. And the Bible says we will give an account for everything we've done. And here's a scary one for you. Every idle word you've ever said. Yikes, that scares me a lot. What I think we're going to find out as we stand before Christ, the Bible says that uh, we'll be judged in our sin, but what we're both, if, if we were, if God, if, if I was standing before God and he's up there and this was the, the film of my life, God would begin to show the film of my life on until I was a certain age, you know, it'd be nice and be cute little pudgy Jeff playing with his Legos or whatever I did when I, you know, mostly Lincoln Logs and stuff like that. Uh, and then when I got to that place uh, of accountability where I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, convinced of Jesus, convinced of his salvation and gave my heart to Christ, all of a sudden the screen's going to turn red. And all the sin that I will have committed between then and the day of my death will be covered by the blood of Jesus. And nobody will remember. You know how we know? Because the Bible says when you confess your sin and believe in your heart, God casts your sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. That's good news. If you've got a lot of sin, God's got a lot of grace. And that judgment seat 
We're gonna, it's not really about salvation and whether we're gonna make it into heaven or not. We've made it into heaven and the blood of Jesus is gonna be over our life, but then God is gonna flash before us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, he's gonna judge what we did with our life. It's why you should make sure you don't succeed at something that doesn't matter. It's why you should make sure, and I felt this this morning even in worship, I felt like God was speaking, uh, and I knew I'd say it in this, in this message, so I waited, but I, I felt like God was saying, some of you have, you know, you know you have a call of God on your life, and you have set it aside. One, one author said this, he said, we won't, I can't remember who it was or I'd tell you because it just came to my head, but he said, he said, we won't give an account to God for all that we did. We'll actually give an account to God for all we were called to do. And I'm only saying this because I want you to know when you stand before God, though your sins will be forgiven, though, though your sins are as scarlet, he will cleanse them white as snow. That's a true thing. And God will do that for every Christian who stands at the judgment seat of Christ. But then when your life is laid before him and judged, he's going to ask you to give an account. And this is what he's going to say. What did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? How did you live your life for him? So when I talk about like pressing in to more of God or answering the call God has in your life or serving the Lord with gladness and finding a way to not just punch your clock. Stop being an American Christian. And let's live this thing, right? I don't mean that meanly, like I'm jabbing you in the chest. I don't mean it like that. But look, if you've, if you've had a call of God in your life and you've set it aside, it's time to pick it up again. The kingdom needs you. And I'm not talking about just vocational ministry. I'm talking about God's called you to teach kids. God's called you to serve at, uh, at urban ministry. God called you to help the addicted. God's called you to something, right? Don't succeed at something that doesn't matter. Find the call God has in your life. Why? Because someday you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to have to give an account. And the Bible says all the things that you did in this life that were useless will be burned up in his fire. And the only thing that will be left are what was gold and silver and precious. And those are the things that you do for the kingdom. They're challenge over. There's a second judgment that's coming the Bible calls it in Revelation the great white throne judgment. And this is where God sits on his throne and he judges the wicked. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, 27, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We're all gonna die and face judgment. Really the question is, will you be at the judgment seat of Christ or will you find yourself at the great white throne judgment? If you find yourself at the great white throne judgment, I can tell you this, it's too late to be saved. You can stand before the Lord and you can plead your case. And, I, and I'm reminded just in this moment of what Jesus said in, in Matthew, I think chapter seven. He said, many will come to me on that day. And he's talking about the white throne. Many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not preach the gospel? Did we not go to church? Did we not pay our tithe? Did we not serve in youth ministry? We'll have all these things. And he will say, guys, I didn't know who you were. 
There will be people at the great white throne judgment who did not expect to be at the great white throne judgment. And all I can say to you is this. Make sure that's not you. I can't save you. No sermon I preach will ever save you. No moment at an altar will ever save you. You have to believe in Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and you have to live your life for him. That's it. If you'll do that, if you'll live that way, you'll find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ instead of the great white throne judgment where God will judge the wicked and they will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. I just want you to remember One of the ways we know how important this is, how important judgment is, is this. In the last 10 or 15 years, heretical preachers and teachers have tried to erase hell, have tried to say, hell's not real. God will never cast anyone into hell. God is a just God. He's a loving God. He will never, he'll never do that. And they've written books about it and they've preached sermons about it. You can find them on YouTube. That's not a theology that the Bible espouses, blah, blah, blah. All this thing, all these things that are heretical. Hell is a very real place. And it will be filled with very real people. I don't want that to be you. So when I, when I talk about like people who sit on the fringe of the kingdom, who sit on the fringe of serving the Lord, who would rather live in their own truth, my truth, and their own opinions than come into the, the grace and the mercy of God, even though he might have to like shift some things around in you, you know? Don't be that guy who stands on the fringe. Come all the way in. What did Jesus say in John chapter three? Those who come into the light. You've gotta come into the light in order to be saved. All right, this is the best part. Last thing, this is the best part. John chapter 16, verse 12. The Holy Spirit's gonna be a convictor, man, and he's gonna hammer us, and we're gonna understand, but here it is in verse 12. There is so much more I wanna tell you but you can't bear it. You can't handle it. So, and it, what he's saying is this. It's so good. It's so awesome. I can't even tell you about it because you'll get so distracted. That's what he's saying. It's so good. Here's how we know. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll just tell you what he's heard and he'll tell you about the future. He'll tell you what's to come. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will tell you what he receives to me. And I, I thought in this, there are three things that the Holy Spirit does. This is the best thing for us as a believer as we come into the, the things of God. Do you see the shift? These first three things are conviction for the world. It's work he's doing in the world. And now Jesus shifts it and he says, but those in Christ, those in Christ have the Holy Spirit for these things. Hey, you get to have the greatest guide of all the world who guides us into truth. You don't ever have to worry or wonder if you're gonna know the truth or what's going on. You're not gonna miss it. It's not a secret. It's not a wild goose chase. The Holy Spirit desires to give you and I truth. Second thing he says, he speaks to us. He guides us. I got action verbs here. He guides us and he speaks. He speaks to us what he hears from the Father. I mean, did you know that God sitting on his throne right now is thinking about you? I don't know how he does it, but he thinks about everybody all at the same time. 
you know what the great thing is too? Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, leaning over to the Lord, saying, Lord, Father, could you help Jeff? He needs all the help he can get. Can you help that guy? Hey, and here's what I want you to do. Could you do these things? And you know what the Holy you know what God does? God's like, I can, I can do that. Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Spirit, I, I need you to go down and do these things for Jeff because he's, he's losing his mind. You got to go help him. You got to go help him. This is a regular prayer. Jesus prays for me. And the Holy Spirit comes up to me and he goes, hey, Jeff, stop being stupid. Or whatever. Stop yelling at the referees. That's funny. That was funny. Why? Because he speaks what he hears from the Father. And here's what you can be assured of. What the Father says is the best for you. Right? What the Father says is the best news. And the Holy Spirit speaks that to us. The last thing he does in that moment is he brings glory to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. How does he do that? He gives us all the kingdom things. I love that. He says, everything that the Father has is mine. And through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the whole of the kingdom. Man, I love that. That means there's nothing withheld from those that love God. You have anointing. You have power. You have gifts. You have grace. You have mercy. You have knowledge. You have wisdom. It's like, what do you need from God? You have it all at your fingertips through the Holy Spirit. He is the gateway for all that God has for you, for me. So a couple of questions as we close. Are you welcoming the Holy Spirit to guide you to truth? Now, I can't promise that whole guiding you to truth thing that you're always going to agree with the truth that the Holy Spirit brings you. Anybody ever disagreed with God? Like, I'm not sure you see that the, the right way, Lord. Here's what you can know. He's always right. You're always wrong. When God is speaking to you truth, he's right and you're wrong. Are you welcoming him to guide you? Are you trusting his truth uh, or the truth that the world offers, quote unquote, the truth that the world offers? And what an adulterated society we live in now with the my truth thing. There's only one truth. Are you listening for his voice today? And I got more on that in a minute. Are you listening for his voice today? Are you welcoming the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Jesus through your life? Are you inviting him in to bring glory to Jesus? Remember, the Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus through the life of a believer yielded to the work of the kingdom. He'll bring glory to Jesus. Is your life, serious question, is your life, the life you're leading right now, bringing glory to Jesus? If you stood before the judgment seat of Christ, would God say, you spent your life bringing glory to my son? Well done. What would he say? I believe that there are three things that need to happen this morning. Some of you are here, and if you're honest with yourself, if you were to die right now, or if Jesus were to come back, you would find yourself not at the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians will receive what they've earned, you would find yourself at the great white throne judgment in danger of the fires of hell. 
And if you're honest with yourself, that's just reality. That's just where you are. You've got things in your life and sin in your life or maybe unbelief in your heart and you've not believed in God's one and only son and he is calling you to him today. Some of you are here and it's not that you need that, but you need the paraclete to come alongside. You need that helper, that, that Holy Spirit to just, man, God, I just feel like I've been ch trying to do it myself. I've been succeeding at things that don't matter. I've been working, trying to work out my own life and work out you know, the things that are going and I just need help. I need to listen in to those prayers that Jesus is praying to the Father for me. I need help. Lastly, you might be here today and you say, you know, I really need help hearing the voice of God. I really need to stop listening to my own voice. And just truthfully, how many of you could stand to shut off your own voice in your head and it would help you? If you could get past your own voice to hear the presence and the Spirit of God, man, your life would change. Good news. He's speaking to you right now. You just got to get out of the way. I believe some of you need to be saved. Some of you need help from the helper. Some of us just need to learn to quiet our spirit and hear from the Lord. Father, I thank you for those things. And I pray right now that you would draw those, God, that need to hear your word and hear your voice and know you you're here this morning and number one is for you, man, you need salvation. You recognize that you're in danger of the great white throne judgment. And if, if your life were to end today, you're not sure you'd find yourself in the presence of God. If that's you this morning, all over this room, without hesitation, without fear, and without any sense of shame, I want you to lift your hand all over the room real high. I want to see it. I'll, I'll acknowledge you and put it right back down. Thank you, young man. Others, Others, you desperately need to make sure you are going in the right direction. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Others, it's been about six. Anybody else? Oh, wait just a moment. I'm looking around. Balcony? Anyone at all? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Let's take care of this right now. I'm gonna pray a prayer over you. I don't want you to, I don't believe in the repeat after me thing because I think you've got to believe in your own heart. So I just want you to pray a simple prayer as I pray that says, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that you're God and I want to live for you. You gotta pray a prayer just like that, but you gotta pray it because it's gotta be your faith, not my faith. So if you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, Let's all pray that together, can we? Father, I thank you for those that lifted their hand to receive salvation this morning. Would you honor them right now as they pray a prayer of faith? Would you begin to lift the burdens of sin, the burdens of brokenness? Would you literally help them feel it lift from their life? To know, God, that you have met them in this moment and that from this day forward, they are not in danger standing in the, uh, before the great white throne, but God, they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive reward for their faith in you. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you've convicted. Now draw them in in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to ask everybody to stand with me right now, if you would. Here's what I want to do. I want to open these altars. And if you, so, so pay attention. If you raised your hand to receive Christ, please don't leave. If you raised your hand to receive Christ, I want to ask Michael, I know you got to give it up, buddy. They can live without a base. 
while everybody else comes forward, I want you to make your way to that door right there. We just want to put something in your hands to help you. Right over here, Pastor Michael's coming. He's got a great flannel on, kicking the season off right. Would you please, please, I beg of you, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. We've all walked the walk, we've all done it. It's been part of everybody's story. Please don't leave without walking over to Pastor Michael so he can put something in your hand to help you begin the journey. And if you're like, "Eh, I'm just coming back to the Lord, I've been saved before, I don't care, go. (laughs) Let Pastor Michael help you. The rest of us, if you need help from the Holy Spirit, if you need to do some business with God, if you need to hear the voice of God in your life, we're going to open the altar. And I don't want you to sit in your chair. I want you to come forward. I want you to make your way, stand, kneel, whatever you want to do. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to begin speaking clearly to each of us this morning. And if you will come, I believe he will meet you. So Lord, draw everyone that will come in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as we sing? If you raise your hand for salvation, I want you to make your way right over there. Don't come first. Go right over there. And we're going to work on that. Would you come right now? Come on. You want to hear the voice of the Lord? You want to know what God is saying for you? The Bible says he'll speak to you what is yet to come. If you want to know what God has for your life, for the future, for this world, to give you peace, to give you hope, I want you to come. Come on. You need to hear from God. You need to listen. You need help from the Lord. You need to discover how God wants to work in your life and what he wants to do. Would you come right now? Come right now. We're going to worship the Lord. Come on, cry out to God. Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's begin to ask him, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. You're a speaking God. Speak to my heart. Speak to my life. Let me hear you, God. Let me know what you're saying in Jesus' name. Let me get out of my own way. Let me turn off the voice in my head, my own voice, God, that confuses, God, that complicates. Let me hear you in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. There's still room for you. There's still room for you. Would you come?